Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. pitch, runner goes, and a breaking ball is lifted out to deep left field. It's at the wall, and it's gone. A home run, Jose Rondon. And he lifts a high fly ball out to deep left field. It's at the wall, and it is gone. Home run, Nagowski. Three-run shot. Also. Line drive and a base hit. Arenado puts the Cardinals on the board. Edmund will score, and Nolan Arenado drives in his first as a St. Louis Cardinal to make it 3-1. All right, some of the highlights from yesterday. Welcome into the Danny Mac Show, a Thursday edition with BK. Cardinals win it yesterday, 14-9. They'll play today. Carlos Martinez on the mound. KK was on the mound yesterday. Didn't look great. But we'll get into that in just a moment. John Nagowski hits a three-run homer. Oh. I immediately thought of you, BK. I was so excited to see it. He looked great yesterday. You think he looks great every day. That's true, but he hit really well yesterday. Uh-huh. You love him. You want to see him start over Goldschmidt. No, 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 no. Let's not overstate this. Do you want Bader in the leadoff spot? You don't want to ever see a day off from Bader, and you love John Nagowski. Okay, Bader in the leadoff spot against lefties. John Nagowski... Here's a question for you. Is there a way that he could win the last bench spot on this team? It's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be very tough. I I could see if they carry five, maybe, and he's going to have to play some of the outfield because he's not going to play first base. He said yesterday after the game he's been working there five days a week. Yeah, and that's smart on his part. I mean, read the tea leaves. It's kind of like Nolan Gorman. I love what I've seen out of Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman has made two really good plays at third base, and he looks extremely comfortable. He's played there all his life. But if you want to make this your profession with the St. Louis Cardinals, you got to learn a different position. It's going to be second base of the outfield. And his bat plays. I love seeing that stuff, Dan, because, and maybe this is me reading too much into it, but I don't think it is. It shows a team mentality from a guy that, in Nolan Gorman, legitimately has star potential. I mean, he was a, he was a, he could have gone top 10 in that draft. And he's 20 years old. And he's moving all over the diamond because he knows that's my best chance to get to the bigs the quickest way possible now that the team has Nolan Arenado. That's that's really significant. I, I think there's value in having a guy like that that's willing to do this this early. Jose Rondon was two for three, couple of runs, home run, drove in three. Now, here's a guy that's flying under the radar. He played in winter ball, had seven home runs in 29 games. And he has major league experience. Now, I'm not saying he's going to make the club, but that does give you some depth. Kisner liked to see uh, what he did yesterday. He was two for three, couple runs scored, had a double, drove in two. John Nagowski, we mentioned the three-run homer. Uh, Tommy Parsons, one of their better pitching prospects, another good outing for him, inning in two-thirds, no runs. Uh, Johan Quezada, now he is six foot nine. The, the interesting part about watching him, if you didn't see the game, is how much he short arms it. It was almost like watching a guy throw a football and he's six foot nine. So you would think at six foot nine, he's going to be long, long, long and to the plate. He just kind of picks it out of the glove to the ear and boom, it's there. Now he was throwing mid to high nineties, but he's another guy that they pick up that does have a little bit of major league experience. And the one that uh, I don't want to call it concern yet because it's his first time out was KK. 
He was not sharp. And the thing I noticed right off the bat with him was velocity was down. Now, when you have velocity down, a lot of times early on, that's a mechanical flaw, and that can be corrected immediately with video going down on a side session, going down to the bullpen later in the day. So it was to the point that they actually pulled him in the first inning and then brought him back out for an inning clean. He's he's going to be fine. I don't have major concerns whatsoever, but he did talk about his velocity being down. So about the velo, I mean, to be honest, at Right now, I just don't know um, why that is happening, so I just have to go back and look at the videos. And um, the beginning spring training and before the games, I didn't really have any problems with the velo. That was just a uh, time framing for uh, uh, starting today, so that's not that was not a problem about uh, the velo going down. Average fastball at just 88 miles per hour yesterday. Last year, his average fastball was 90. He can live at at 90-91. He's good enough to do that with the assortment of pitches that he has, and he's not really stressed out at all about the velocity. I'm not stressed about the uh, low low velo. I think the velo will come as I play more games. The good thing is right now, I don't feel sick or anything. I'm in good condition. So I'm not stressed about that at all. His catcher yesterday was Andrew Kisner. I want to say his stuff was almost too nasty. I think it was uh, it was actually moving a little bit more than probably wanted to, uh, especially that fastball had a lot of cut to it. And it just, with, with, when you're throwing pitches with that much late movement, it just is on the plate and then it's off. So I don't think it's anything to uh, panic about or anything like that. But, um, you know, I think, uh, I think he talked to Wayno in, in the dugout uh, a little bit to work on, I guess, a few mechanical things he was, I guess, thinking or working on. So that second time he came out, he's a little bit better. And, you know, he's, you know, nobody's worried about KK. He, he pounds his own and, and he attacks hitters. And, it, you know, his next outing will be great. He walked a total of five last year. The entire season, he had two in the first 15 minutes of spring training. So it's probably a mechanical thing when you see he doesn't command the zone and velocity is down a tick or two. And if he says he came out of the performance fine in in terms of uh, any health issues, I'm, I'm not concerned. Not concerned, just something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things, Dan, the way that I look at spring training, and I'd be curious how you kind of evaluate these things from the outside, I basically, if you have a track record, I don't really get worried based nope. on your results in spring training. Now, if there's an injury that pops up or something that could signify an injury, that's when I'll start having some, you know, questions about what's going on there with Miles Michaelis. I think it's fair to have some questions right now what what this means for the start of the season for him. But like if for instance, Paul Goldschmidt was terrible this spring training. It means nothing to me. It changes nothing about my expectations for him. Harrison Bader can do nothing in spring training that's going to change the way that anybody looks at him. Um, a guy like KK for me, not really going to do much. Same thing for Gallegos. Like the guys that I believe in, I'm still going to believe in them going into to the um, summer. But something like that yesterday just raises some, hey, Keep an eye on this. If it ends up being three, four outings where he has these kinds of issues still, maybe then we have some questions. But for right now, I'm not too concerned about it yet. I'm really going to be paying attention to the records of all these teams because these records mean a lot. Number one, going into regular season play and the fact a lot of games are five innings, seven innings. Oh, yeah. Hey, you can take a pitcher out, bring him back in. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Not like to this extent. No, I 
when they took KK out, I was like, okay, well, I guess his day's done. You know, doesn't, doesn't have it today. That's fine. It happens, especially in spring training when it's your first outing. He came back in for the second. I was like, wait, can you do this? Is this allowed? I, I actually liked it. I, I thought it was better than him going down to the bullpen and going to throw another bullpen, which he's been doing already and has done probably, you know, coming into camp, who knows, you know, five to ten of those already leading into camp. You need to see other people in the box. And I even believe that it's better to have an opposition in the box. So sometimes when you watch those guys in the backfields and doing their thing, they're kind of laughing, you know, that you, as a pitcher, you're not trying to hit a guy, you know, if one gets away, but getting him competition, that's, I, I think it's actually smart what they're doing, but man, the records now, the Cardinals are one Oh, and two. So they've had uh, some undefeated still, baby. That's right. And it, like the other day, Jack Flaherty, you know, comes out with what could have been a massive inning for the opposition. They just like, well, we're just going to roll it over. I preferred that. What happened yesterday, I prefer that to rolling the inning over. Because at least now you're you're playing a real, in quotes, baseball game as opposed to just being like, yeah, that's the end of the inning. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and walk off now. Go ahead and bring a reliever in in this spot. And then if you want to go back to your starter, as they did yesterday, I prefer that significantly over what we saw from Jack Flaherty. Cardinals uh, were on the other end of that yesterday. Jacob Barnes, who we saw in the NL Central, uh, couldn't get three outs. And his pitch count was right around 30. And they just said, okay, inning over. And that was it. And he just moved on. And, you know, look, they're just trying to get their work in. I get it. Um it's just strange. It's different. I'll tell you one of the things I'd like to see, though, that game was dragging in the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, and the ninth, And you will get that in spring training baseball because it's minor leaguers. And why are minor league pitchers not in the major leagues? A lot of them throw hard, just as hard as some of your top guys. Some of them have just as nasty stuff. What's the difference? They can't locate it. They don't throw strikes. So... There was a couple of at-bats I'm watching, and guys are stepping out of the box and messing with the elbow pad and doing the things with the the, the gloves. I mean, we, we can do all these different things to try to help the game, the three-batter minimum, which did not help the game in terms of pace of play. But it's been a point of emphasis for this commissioner. If there was ever a time to do all these things of trying to speed up the game, do it now. Put in a pitch clock. Make sure that guys do not step out of the box. And that was something that was done a few years ago where if you did not have a foul ball or ball put in play, you don't step out of the box. One foot could go out, but one foot's got to stay in. Why are we doing that in spring training? Get in the box. And a lot of these minor league guys are accustomed to a pitch clock now. Get on the mound. Let's go. That stuff needs to be cleaned up in Major League Baseball. It's got to pick up. There's got to be somebody that starts looking out for the betterment of the game, Dan. Um, I know we're going to get into this in a little bit, but the news that came out yesterday with no DH, no um, expanded postseason this year, what you're talking about right now with them not experimenting despite the fact that last year the entire season was about experimentation and now we're not doing those same things. It's it's, it's strange, man. I, I, I don't really understand what's going on right now. Cardinals... Uh, uh, press release today, 32% capacity will be allowed at Bush Stadium. So it's just about, oh, I know, 14,300 people will be allowed in the ballpark. That is great news. Dan, that nobody's at the ballpark more than you. That's You saw what it was like last year. It's cavernous. Yep. It's empty. It feels hollow. 
What's this going to be like to finally be able to have fans back in the stands again? I think we're already seeing it, BK. I know you've watched uh, the spring training games, and that's a facility that holds probably 7,000, 7,500. And does it sound quiet? Yeah, it does. But there's 1,000, there's 1,200 people there. But I'll tell you this. It looks a lot better. I don't know if you guys agree. It, to me, it does. It's my personal opinion. It's a lot better than seeing the cutout. The, the cardboard people... I'm done with it. I, I, if I got to have empty seats and people be separated, I'm fine with that. And I'm hearing actual fans clap. I'm hearing some oohs and ahs. I'm hearing some people yell at the umpire, which I would get in a spring training game anyway, especially in the eighth and the ninth when people are going to the beach or going out to a happy hour or whatever. Sure. They, they go for five innings and see the regulars and phew, they're out the door. Um, I think it's great. And I've talked to some players about it. They're like, man. It's just nice to look up and I see my wife in the stands. My kids are there. My mom and dad are there. That's a big deal. It's just better. And I do think we're going to have bounce back years from players because there's a sense of being more on the line, something more on the line of people watching me. I I really believe that. The video, too. They announced that the other day that there's going to be video back in the dugouts this year. And that was something that I know it was Mark McGuire who said these guys are addicted to video now. Yeah, and they need it. And we saw some guys that rely heavily on video last year that struggled as a result of that. Javi so Baez, to... he was the one that said, I got to have it. Yep. Remember that? Mm-hmm, I do. And and now he's going to be able to have that back as a resource for him in the dugout. The Cardinals, I know, use that as well. So you're going to be able to see that. It's just going to feel more normal. Dan, I, some of this is that it was playoff baseball. But even whenever they went out to San Diego last year and you saw the games down in Texas, when there were fans in the stands for those games, you could feel it then that yep. the energy was a little bit different. And like I said, some of that's the playoffs. A lot of it is even with a lower capacity, you can feel it. You yep. can feel the intensity coming from the fans in the stands. So that's going to be awesome to be able to see on opening day. This is the Danny Mac show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise. Athletic with an interesting story that broke last night. An expanded postseason and a universal DH for 2021 are both dead issues. No recent movement or planned further discussion. Multiple people with knowledge of communications between Major League Baseball and the player uh, Players Association said that uh, last night. Major League Baseball would have received $100 million credit from ESPN for the expanded postseason. MLB offered the players a guarantee of more than $80 million for the entire postseason if the players agreed to expand the format equivalent to the bonus pool that was distributed last year when the playoff field was a standard 10 teams, but the players did not feel the guarantee represented significant gain, if any way. Um, I think this is what you were talking about. Who's watching out for the betterment of the game? I, I think when I watch postseason play, my own personal opinion, I'm not sure this is what every, everybody feels, but this is my own personal feeling on this. I wanted to see more teams again this year. I thought it was good for baseball. I thought expanded playoffs worked. Uh, I, I would assume that the Players Association is saying, well, you know, uh, this is another reason why teams then don't have to go out and enhance their rosters because you can be a mediocre team and make postseason play so why are you going to go out and sign player x and give him millions of dollars because you can be mediocre and make it into postseason play and it's not the the rub here is it's not worth the trade-off of the 80 million that we would get i i understand that business sense probably makes some sense however where are we at for the betterment of the game for the fans and for the fans perspective is hey this is a good thing and by the way 
I would say this from the fans' perspective, it's also good when you have more teams that have a chance late in a season to get into postseason play where games matter and it's a long six-month season. I want to see that. I like it. I didn't like it first when I heard about the the wild card. And then when I saw the wild card and how it worked with uh, regular season games in late August or early early September, I thought, man, this is great. Something's on the line here. These are These are games that normally would mean nothing. We're just playing out the string. So those things mean something to me as a fan. I wish it was going to happen this year, and it doesn't look like it will. So here's my question, Dan. Like, I get what you're saying about if Major League Baseball, if the Players Association said early in the offseason, hey, we don't want to have the expanded playoffs because we're concerned that there's going to be teams that that don't really go for it because now you've got more. The, the marginal win is worth less whenever you have more teams that make it into the postseason. I can listen to that argument. I, I think there might even be some truth to that. Who's it going to change anything for now? Like Jake Odorizzi is not going to yeah. sign because now there's two extra teams that are in the playoffs per league. Like, no, somebody's still going to sign Jake Odorizzi eventually. Who is the, even the second best free agent still available? Like I ask that in all sincerity. Yeah, you're Yossi running out of time. I mean, it, it doesn't change a whole lot at all at this point in the offseason. So that argument from the Players Association kind of falls flat for me right now. And then on the other side of things with uh, Major League Baseball, apparently their thing about the DH is that they're saying general managers don't want it in the National League, which is just laughable. They were told literally moments before the season started a year ago that they were going to get the DH. You instituted that the day of opening day. And now you're trying to tell me that, hey, because National League general managers don't want it, which I frankly don't believe, that's why we're not doing it this year. No, it's because you both know that the other side wants something and you're not willing to give it up unless they give you exactly what you want. It's ridiculous, Dan. Like this is the, the thing that's so frustrating to me. This is a great game and it's probably as talented. It's it's as flush with young talent as we've ever seen it. Guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. This should be the time when they shine. And instead, what is talked about right now is how the two sides can't get along. And so you're going to get to the end of this year, and the only thing that people are going to be talking about, instead of one of the greatest free agent shortstop classes in the history of baseball, they're going to be talking about, are we going to be able to even watch them play baseball next year? I'm watching the Mets yesterday, and they had signed Kevin Pillar late. They signed Almora. So there's two really good defensive outfield replacements. They have their three that they'll they'll roll out there, and then you've got those two. And the point I'm bringing up is that they, they signed Jose Martinez. And fans here know Jose Martinez well. Against left-handed pitching, he hits 307 for his career. So if you got a tough lefty coming in, he would be the guy that you would want. Um, they had him playing first base yesterday. He cannot play first base. Cardinals tried it, did not work out. So where would you put him if there's a non-DH? You've just eliminated Jose Martinez. So if, if you're... Like the Mets, you go out and sign Jose Martinez with the idea that maybe this guy competes for a spot off our bench. Certainly if there's a, a position or a, a spot pops up that he's he's the guy, but also in games, if he makes our team, he's going to go against left-handed pitching or maybe makes a start. But really probably in the back of their minds was, we're going to have the DH. Here's a guy that we can put in as our DH, and he'll do fine. He is a DH. He's a designated hitter. And now what do you do with him? And those kind of jobs may be eliminated, too, with some teams having made choices, thinking, oh, well, we'll have the DH. 
Now what do you do? Well, think about John Nagowski here locally, right? Like for him, his case would be much stronger if there was a designated hitter. It it potentially eliminates that back end of your bench, one extra bench player to be able to come in for that spot. Look down to Atlanta, Dan. Marcelo Zuna. The hell are you doing with that $16 million player this season? You're going to play him in the outfield every day? I mean, I guess. Good luck, though. We've seen that here. I know we want a gold glove. It didn't mean a whole lot as he's going up the outfield wall and the ball falls straight in front of him. Like we laugh about that stuff, but I think in the back of their mind in Atlanta, they're like, oh, they'll figure this out. They'll get a DH. We'll have that for him this year. And worst case scenario, we know we'll have that next year. I just don't know how you can have that kind of certainty now. I think when I look at this and I hate saying this, it shows the complete lack of trust on both sides. Absolutely. I mean, these are little carrots. I say little carrots. I mean, it's they're they're big things that you talk about. It would be millions of dollars. But in the big picture of this, it's a total distrust on both sides and whatever leverage you have, whether you're the players association or the owners, you're not given an inch. And that scares me going into this offseason of trying to figure out a labor agreement. That that should scare everybody that's involved in this game. So sometimes, Dan, I have I have a tough time deciding on what to watch with my fiance, right? We have very different views on what we should watch for the night. We whether it be a TV show, a documentary, a docu-series, a movie, whatever. And this would be like instead of us deciding on one of those things that we were gonna watch, one of the things that one of us wanted to see that night. We're like, ah, you know what? Screw it. We'll just watch football instead. Like it doesn't make any sense. Instead of getting what one of us wants, we end up getting what nobody wants. That's what baseball is doing right now. They're just throwing up their hands and pretending like it doesn't make any sense. It does make sense. And for the betterment of the game, for the players, for the league, money would be flowing in more if you're able to have this expanded postseason. And for the betterment of the fans that are enjoying watching this great game that we all love here in St. Louis, just get the damn thing done. And it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. And that's, that's frustrating. Brewers really frustrating. Uh, with some action here this morning. Jackie Bradley Jr. signs a two-year deal for $24 million. Last year, 191 ABs. He's a fantastic, uh, fantastic defensive player. Uh, hit 283, seven home runs, drove in 22, 814 was the OPS. And so now you have added two really good defensive players and added back Lorenzo Cain if you're the Milwaukee Brewers. So you got Jackie Bradley Jr., Lorenzo Cain in your outfield, and you have uh, Christian Yelich. You've added Colton Wong now at second base. You put Keston Hira at first base, and their starting staff, uh, Brandon Woodruff, I got Corbin Burns, Josh Lindblom, Adrian Hauser, and Brett Anderson, maybe an Eric Lauer mixed in there too. We'll see how that plays out for their fifth spot. The Brewers could be very, very good this year and probably the top competition that the Cardinals face in the NL Central. Yeah, and they're trying, Dan. And going back to our conversation that we were just having, it's sad that I have to say this, but it's the reality. I respect the fact that the Brewers, especially over the last like three years or so with David Stearns in charge, they've tried. They have tried to win every single year, and that's meaningful to me. I love seeing a smaller market team, one of the smaller markets in all of baseball, going out there, and when there's somebody available like Jackie Bradley Jr., who certainly has his faults. He's not a he's not a great hitter, um, and last year the numbers were probably a little better than what you would have expected based on what he did in terms of the barrel rates and all of the the nerdy stats, but he's a, he's a quality player that can help you win. 
And so for them to go out there late in the game and give $12.5 million per season over a two-year deal to a guy like Jackie Bradley Jr., I think they deserve a lot of credit. And I'm with you. I think they're the number one contender in the National League Central to be able to beat the Cardinals if another team ends up doing that. David Stearns, one of the best in the business. I think our ownership group is, is always open um, for beneficial baseball moves. And, and our ownership group during our time here uh, has always been listening, willing to listen to the baseball group um, and to, to our recommendations if we think there are impactful moves um, that can make the team better. Um, they've been very supportive of us. And he is truly one of the best in terms of, uh, I think, doing a lot with little. Uh, they've got two with the back end of their bullpen in Williams, the kid from St. Louis. They got Hayter, and they announced this morning the capacity at uh, Miller Park, which is now some insurance company. Uh, usually that's 41900 and they're going to allow probably about 11,000 people into their ballpark this year. So they're going to have fans at the beginning of the season as well. Cincinnati, by the way, has talked about on opening day against the Cardinals having roughly 30% capacity. So we're going to have fans in the ballpark, and we'll see if some of these teams continue to make moves like David Stearns. Absolutely, and I, I think they deserve a ton of credit. He said it there. The ownership group deserves credit, just as they do here in St. Louis. One thing you don't see enough of is people going for it. The Brewers and the Cardinals both have. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is the Danny Mac Show with BK here on 101 ESPN. Right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Former Cardinals pitcher Todd Wellmeyer joining the show. Todd, thanks so much for the time today, man. How you doing? Oh, man, pretty good. Pretty good. Nice to hear from you guys again. Absolutely. Good to hear from you as well. So what what have you been up to? You retired from baseball back in 2011. And if I'm reading this correctly, you started a taco chain down in Texas. What's going on with you? What have you been up to? Uh, taco. I started a little taco truck in Louisville, Kentucky. And then uh, now we've got uh, four of those, and then we got a little steakhouse, and we got a bar that we're doing. Where I was happened to be at last night, a little bit too late. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just kind of doing that. I'm not running them. You know, I'm just kind of, I guess I got two really good partners, and uh, it's kind of taken off from there. How have you uh, held up in the, you know, this industry with COVID nineteen? You guys been all right? Uh, we, you know, we've been fine. Um, the community kind of helped us out for a lot of carry out stuff. Um, got some of those PPP loans coming in um, to carry us through. Uh, we had one stupid lockdown in November that kind of crushed us right around Thanksgiving when we were really we were planning on making some of that money back and. Uh, but you know we got we got bailed out for that, and community's been strong for us. It's it hasn't been too bad. Just looking forward to everybody getting back to their lives again. You know, absolutely. Todd Wellemeyer is our guest, the former Cardinal pitcher, and I, I'm really uh, looking forward to this. You know, Todd, you you spend time in the bullpen as a starter. You pitch for Tony Larusa. I want to ask you about pitching for Tony, who's now back in the game uh, with the White Sox. What's your initial thoughts on seeing Tony back in the game, and what was it like pitching for Tony? Well, uh, I'm surprised that he left St. Louis. Um, I figured he'd be around a long time, and look, he's back at, with the White Sox now. But Tony was awesome. It was when I was a rookie. <clears throat> I had Dusty Baker in Chicago, and um, we had a solid five five man rotation when I came in. So I was bullpen, and then for about five years, I became a bullpen artist. 
Um, uh, and then I get to see Tony. I met him for the first time, and he goes, aren't you a starter? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, you're starting uh, in three days against Detroit. I'm like, okay, well, fine. We'll try it out, see how we got. So, And that was my natural position. So Tony kind of knows uh, deep down. I think he's got a really good feel for, for what position guys need to be in. How do you think he's going to adjust to the game today? Because I think that's kind of the biggest question that especially White Sox fans up in Chicago have had is, you know, the game has changed over the last decade. How do you think Tony's going to adjust to that? I, man, I don't know. I, 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 they do have the DH up there, so that'll take some stress off of him. <laughs> um, he was always kind of messing around with that lineup, you know, with the with the pitchers, and he won't have to mess with pitchers hitting either. Um, so, like taking up any time in the in the uh, uh, batting practice. So that's good. But I, man, I, I, I mean, it's still got to be back to his roots. Maybe he's gonna, maybe he'll stick to his old school game and and come in on top, you know. Absolutely. Todd Wellemeyer is our guest. Um, you were right at the beginning of, of seeing the analytics coming into the game. You're a very cerebral guy and would take in a lot of different things. What do you think about analytics with pitching and, and how it pertains to the game today as opposed to when uh, you were finishing up your career? Man, I, I know they definitely have placement in the game today, I'm sure. Um, but it's got to be hard to... You know, like I said, like Tony just kind of knows. He, I feel like he goes. He 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 does have a of a kind of just a natural feel on things. You got to be able to. There's a lot of things you cannot put on paper, um, and I noticed that a lot. I mean, the best teams I were on, uh, I, analytics had nothing to do with it. Who's the craziest dudes you've ever seen, ever met? <laughs> the crazier the team, the the better the team. So it, it was amazing how that worked out. Um, so camaraderie, if if I was a manager, that's how I would manage. I would I would be picking my team based on that. Uh because I mean my God, you get my have an all star in there with great numbers, but he could be a cancer to the whole team. I'm cu- I'm curious, Todd, when you look at it through that perspective as well. Uh- do you enjoy watching the game as much today as when you played? Because it's certainly aesthetically, just as a fan of the game, it's changed to watch. Do you enjoy watching the game as much today as you did 10, 15, 20 years ago? Um, I don't. Honestly, I really don't. I uh, I, I like watching when, when my one or two players that I played with are still around when they pitch. Like, Wayno, is he even still playing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's still going. He's going to pitch again so, this year. Yeah, so you got me for about 20% of your games this year. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Can but, you believe that Wayno 15 years later still going strong? Dude, I, I can. I, I can. He's such a, he's such a strong dude and uh, just uh, does not give up. And uh, I could, I could definitely see him. I, I mean, is he going to coach after this is the question. Is he ever going to get away? Well, he, uh, I think he'll get away what do you think of this, Todd? Maybe he comes in the booth with me and does a handful of games, maybe some television, and then goes in the booth and or, or goes down on the field and does a little bit on the field too. Do you think that suits Wayno? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Put him in a suit, get him some makeup down there, yeah. put him on camera. Yeah. Let him be a be ham. Perfect. Yeah, that's kind of the yeah. way I look at it too. You know, <laughs> you had Yachty too, and Yachty's coming back for another season. Um, can you describe and, and analytically, he also tests very well, but there's the also part of this that you look at and you say, 
man, this guy knows how to call a game. He knows how to understand what I'm trying to do. Did you find that with Yachty when he was throwing to you and and how he handled a pitching staff? Well, I was I was not a guy for analytics uh, personally. If you were to look at me, you would not think, well, no, because he would have to adjust. He'd have to be fluid with me. Like, is his two seamer working today, or is his four seamer? Is he is he throwing curveball today or slider? We don't we don't know what's working. So he had to be on top of his game with me. Um, but um, I mean, he's yeah, he's solid all the way around. Uh, good teammate, analytics. I mean, doesn't strike out much. I don't know if he does anymore. Uh, puts the ball in play, does what he needs to do. Is Okendo still with you guys? Okendo is still in the organization. So when, and and he was going to retire, and then they kind of brought him out of retirement. And when COVID hit, they had these satellite camps. And so he went and worked with all the, the young guys in the satellite camp too. So he's actually down in spring training again this year. Oh, okay, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. he was he was awesome. Him and Yachty were close, I know that. And they they really worked on on their game. I mean, these guys are so good. Some of them are so good. They're able to like approach the game and think like Maddox, he looked at so much video. He was like, okay, I'm going to throw this guy inside, you know, and I'm just wishing, I'm like, I just hope I get ahead of the count. (laughs) (laughs) Todd Wolmeyer joining us here on 101 ESPN. Todd, you were in St. Louis in the time when Albert was really in his prime. And now it's the back end of Albert's career. This may be his final season what was it like for you, especially in, you know, that 08 season when he was just spectacular? What what was it like for you to be able to see that up close? Uh, well, yeah, he was, uh, God, he'd get to the field at like 10 a.m. And, you know, you probably heard stories. He'd, he would, he'd hit, he'd eat, hit, hit again, watch some video, eat, hit again. And he would know exactly everything every day. His his prep was was astounding. It was unbelievable. I was jealous of it, like I said, because I wish I could have that kind of confidence going into a game, knowing that I could actually do this. So he knew it. He had it. Um, it would be, you know, the best the best I played with probably Sosa when he was in his prime. His 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 focus was nothing like Pujols. Uh Whereas Maddox, you know, he was. He was very focused like Bulls. He, he could just read the game. It's just like reading a book for him, I think. And they just understood it. It was it was nuts. And then Pools just he would call out some home runs sometimes. He'd say if he throws me an outside curveball going over right center, then he'd do it. He'd tell that to you like in the dugout and then go out and do it? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Did, did you ever play with anybody else that was like that? No, no. Matt, now, I'll tell you, Maddox, though, would pitch, and he, and he would say, he would sit there and throw a certain little cutter to a certain guy and stand there with his glove open. It's going to come right back to me. <laughs> he could do that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, you threw, but yeah, that's a whole nother level. I'm just like, you guys are magicians. <laughs> yeah. Well, you threw like 98, you know, miles an hour. So that was a little different. You may not know where it was going, but you threw 98, right, right. you know, that's okay. Yes. Yeah. And when I was hot, man, I was hot, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Stay hot, baby. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Todd, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. I know our fans love hearing where you know guys have played here, what they're up to, and, and best of luck with the business, and, and don't be a stranger. All right, man. I'll come see you guys this year. That sounds great. That's Todd Wellemeyer, the former uh, Cardinal reliever, and then starter as he had three days, as Tony said. Can you pitch? <laughs> and I knew that story. It was great. Tony just went right to him and said, now uh, let me ask you something. That's how it started. And Todd, as you probably have gotten in this interview, was, mm-hmm, 
you know, kind of looking out, yes. And he said, uh, it wasn't like, have you started? It was like, no, you're starting on in three days. Yeah. Okay. And just shrugged his shoulders and walked away, you know? By the way, had a pretty darn good season in 2008. Todd Willemeyer, 192 innings and finished that year with a 370 RA. Pretty darn good decision by one Tony La Russa. He had good stuff. He had very good stuff. He was a good pitcher. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Danny Mac Show on a Thursday with BK. BK has three more hours coming up, and he'll be with Jeremy Rutherford today of The Athletic. JR was a, a part of the morning show and wrote this morning a really interesting piece on Vladimir Tarasenko talking to doctors that have dealt with shoulder injuries, that type of invasive uh, invasive surgery, and, and what the return is like. Um, and I was talking about it this morning, BK, more so than even a goal, I want to see him get hit and bounce right back up, get right back in the play, survive a game, then survive another with some goals mixed in. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. But, you know, initially take that hit and understand that, hey, I'm good to go. Mix it up, get in there and, and see what he's got because he could really add something to this team. It's a game changing presence potentially for the Blues. They've, they've got to have him back at at least close to 100%, even if he's not at truly 100% of Vladimir Tarasenko, 40-goal score. If he's just a guy that can give you basically what uh, Jordan Cairo in terms of production has given you, man, that that changes some things for this offense, especially while they're without so many key, contributor, key contributors right now. You're going to have Doug Armstrong coming up, I believe, in about uh, five minutes or so. So... Uh, that will be fun to listen to the general manager of the St. Louis Blues and find out when, if he tips his hand, when Vladimir Tarasenko will play. It's back-to-back games with the Kings starting tomorrow night. The pregame on 101 ESPN at 7. You'll have that for all our listeners. So looking forward to see if they do go with back-to-back games. Uh, JR, I asked him that this morning, and he brought up an interesting point that Jamie Rivers had talked about. Mm-hmm where sometimes you want that player to go. If it's a back-to-back in the first game, guys have fresh legs, usually a fresher game, or do you do put them back on the secondary game of the back-to-back? I'm leading towards game two because I don't know if I want him going back-to-back. We'll see. I think he will only play one of those two regardless. Um, so it'll either be he plays the first game and then sits the second one or plays the second one and sits the first. But which way do you go in that? Don't know how much it really matters, but I would say I would probably lean towards the first one just because then you have two more days off prior to Monday. I can say this. It's a jolt as a fan, as a team. You get a jolt getting that guy back. And they've had a few of those. These young guys, Dan, you were around the 2011 Cardinals with the Memphis Mafia. There's something to this. When guys, especially like Dakota Joshua, who comes up, makes his NHL debut and gets a goal in his first game, when those guys are having that kind of success, David Perron spoke about it with the morning show the other day. You can kind of feel the energy. It's just, it's a youthful energy that comes within the locker room. It's meaningful. We've seen it kind of play out on the ice over the last few games, and they seem to be using that to give themselves a little bit of a jolt, as you said. What else do you have coming up on the show? A lot of hockey today, as you can imagine, yeah. with JR in studio. We've got Chris Butler, former Blues defenseman, coming up at 1130. Former Blues goalie Jamie McLennan at noon. And Joey Vitale, the best in the business, coming up at 1230. All right, looking forward to it. Our thanks to Todd Wellemeyer, BK. Great job, Tanner, as well. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. 
You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise.